Good morning again, everyone. Today we do celebrate just a little extra, the special women in our lives, and just all the different ways that we have seen God's goodness reflected through them. Uh, when I was growing up, I was very fortunate to have a mother who loved and cared for me so well, who supported me, who gave me so many opportunities. But at the very same time, I'm so grateful that I had so many extra moms that popped up in my life. You know, Sunday school leaders and school teachers, neighbors and coaches, aunts. And then that very special group of people that is extra, extra special called grandmas. Can I get a witness, right? Grandmas, yes. At our house, we have one very, very important rule. We don't have a whole lot of important rules, but this is one of them. And that rule is this. We do not tell our children that they are going to their Gigi's house, who's in the back, wave Gigi, unless we are leaving to go within a five-minute window. You do not break that rule in our house lest you, you know, suffer the wrath of the other partner in this relationship. Why do we do that, do you ask? Because the anticipation is just so much, right? Like we say we're going to Gigi's house and there is jumping up and down and dancing around. There is screaming and squealing. There is rushing to find the special toys and things they want to take to show her that end up in a backpack and you never know what they're going to pull out, right, Gigi? Um, and, and so, you know, all of a sudden there's no struggle to get them to brush their teeth or comb their hair. All of a sudden, two brothers that were fighting moments before are suddenly hugging one another. It's magical. But if you let them know more than that five-minute window, the anticipation is just too much, right? The questions begin like, are we going to Gigi's now? Why aren't we going to Gigi's right this second? When are we leaving? What time are we supposed to be there? And the questions just go on and on and on because they know the goodness that awaits them there. They know when they pull up to Gigi's, there's this wide open space where they're going to be able to run around and drive golf carts, right? That's important for little kids. There, uh, there's going to be different snacks and different toys to play with. There are going to be cow and tractor and horse sightings. But most of all, they know that there's this special person who is kind and fun and loving that is waiting for them. They have experienced the goodness of going to Gigi's house in the past, and so they expect to experience it again whenever they get there. Of course, one of the most beautiful things about being a part of a church family is that my kids, they get all these bonus grandmas as well. They not only have Gigi, they not only have my mom, but they have people like Miss Brenda. Do you all know Miss Brenda? She goes to 1030. Miss Brenda. Um, I remember a few months ago, James, do you remember this day? I saw James out in the Welcome Center, and he was like frantically looking for someone. And James, you're 13, right? You're a, a sweet boy, by the way. Uh, Sometimes when kids get 13, you know, they're a little too cool for school. They don't want to hang out with other adults. And so I was surprised whenever James, as he's frantically looking for someone, comes up to me. And what he says to me is, have you seen Miss Brenda? <laughs> I have to see Miss Brenda before I go. She's my church grandma. That's what you called her. 
And I love that. There are so many kids that feel that way about Miss Brenda, you know, because Miss Brenda has smiles and she has hugs and she has stuffed gorillas in her car. Yes, you heard that right. It's a long story. But, <laughs> but these kids, they, they anticipate seeing her. They're so excited whenever she comes through the door. And then there's people like Miss Marge, Miss Marge, who sadly had to move away this, this year, uh, but who came back to see us a couple of weeks ago. And whenever the kids saw her, they instantly knew what it meant. They knew that sweets were here, right? I think we have a picture of it. Um, yes, you see the donuts, right? Because that's how Miss, Miss Marge rolls, right? She did not disappoint them one bit. Um, even during the pandemic, when we weren't allowed to have treats inside the, the church, eventually I realized that there was something going down in the parking lot. She was, <laughs> she was dealing treats out of her purse <laughs> to the kids as they were going home. Whew. But again, you know, these kids, they, they look forward to seeing her. I love that about our kids. There are so many of our kids that are excited to come here to church because they're anticipating seeing these women and so many others of you guys because they have experienced your goodness. And they know that they can expect to experience it again whenever they come here. You know, I think that there is something important that we can learn from our kids. Something important about the way that they do this. The way that they anticipate goodness. Last week we started a new series that is all about what it looks like to be a witness. It is the, the primary vocation, primary calling that Jesus has placed upon our lives. In fact, it's the very last thing that he calls us to, to be right before he's ascending into heaven, which, which kind of puts the exclamation point on the fact that this is very, very important, right? But what in the world does it mean to be a witness? Does it mean like knocking on strangers' doors and asking them if they know Jesus? Does it mean like by asking people um, and telling people that, that they have to say they're Christian ABCs, admit, confess, or ad, admit, believe, and confess Jesus or, or else like they're going down there? Does it mean going around and, and telling people the things that we are against and calling them sinners if they disagree with us? You know, these might be some of the pictures we have in our minds of what it looks like to, to be a witness but throughout this series, what we are discovering is that in all actuality, being a witness is something so much more, so much bigger, so much more beautiful than just using a lot of words to hard sell Jesus. Be, being a witness is what we do all the time. It's what we do everywhere because we have encountered Jesus and he has transformed the way that we see and live in the world. We said last week that there are four key actions of being a witness. And we're going to walk through those four things over the next, uh, next few weeks. But today I want to focus in on that first action. And the first action is this, the action that our kids so naturally model for us. Witnesses anticipate. They anticipate God's goodness. Psalm 130 may be a psalm that you are familiar with. I'm going to read it for us really quick. Um, but this is, this is what it says. It 
It says, out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all of their sins. Now, let me tell you, for for most of my life, how I would approach reading a psalm like that is to do what I just did. Kind of like pick up the Bible, open it up to a psalm, read the psalm, and then call it a day, right? Close up my Bible and move on. You know, when I would come to the Bible and, and read a psalm, I, I kind of looked at each psalm as being independent from one another. You know, that each psalm is kind of uh, in and of itself. It's self-contained. In essence, when I would pick up and read the psalms, I would read it as if I were listening to American, the American Top 40 countdown. Does anybody still listen to that thing? But I mean, I grew up listening to Casey Kasem. It was very important to me. Um, but that's how I approach the Psalms. It's like it's hit after hit after hit, but there's absolutely no connection at all in the songs, right? That's how I thought the Psalms worked. But, but in reality, we miss out a whole lot when we read the Psalms in that kind of way, because here's the thing. Some of the Psalms were written to actually be experienced and read and sung as a group, as a collection in order to convey this bigger message than they ever could apart. And so instead of being like the American Top 40 Countdown, they're, they're really more like this great album that you put on, right? That has all these individual tracks that are unique and tell their own stories, but that tell an even better and bigger and more beautiful story when they are listened to all together as a whole. Psalm 130, it's actually a part of one of these kind of albums that we find in the Psalms. It's an album that's made up of 15 psalms from Psalm 120 to Psalm 135, and the album has a name. It's called the Psalms of Ascent. They are shorter psalms that are easy to memorize, which is a good thing because this is how they believe that the Psalms of Ascent were used. They believe that as normal people like you and me were taking journeys, taking pilgrimages to Jerusalem, that these were the songs that they sang. You see, Jerusalem, it sits up on a hill. And so no matter what direction you are coming from, you have to ascend to get there. And then even when you get up to Jerusalem, there's actually steps that lead up to the temple. And so you have to ascend again. Some scholars would say that there are actually 15 steps. And each of these psalms would have been sung as you walked up the steps to get there. But... You know, each of these songs, if you were to read through them, you'll see that they're each unique. They each have their own message. But then they come together with this overarching message, which is this. The message is Jerusalem is the place to anticipate. Jerusalem is the place to expect. Jerusalem is this place to celebrate God's goodness. However, I I don't know if you noticed, Psalm 130, it doesn't begin with joy in Jerusalem, but instead it begins in the depths. Listen again. It says, out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. 
Throughout the Old Testament, that, that word depths, um, it often was used to, to be another way of talking about the sea. Whenever the sea shows up in scripture, it's, it's usually symbolic of one thing, and that is chaos. Chaos is where the psalmist finds himself. And I think you and I, we all know what it feels like to be in the depths. You know, to be in this place where it feels like the waves just keep on coming and they'll never stop. To be in a place where you're treading water and you just are barely keeping up. To be in this place where you feel like you're being tossed about and overwhelmed. And whenever we find ourselves in that place, in the depths, it's easy for us to gravitate toward one of two extremes. It's easy for us to either move toward being resigned or resentful resigned or resentful. So let's talk through those two things. What does it look like when we become resigned? Well, when we become resigned, we kind of just like give up, right? We can see that this is just the way that things are always going to be. You know, we, we just shrug our shoulders and we decide that we're going to just survive and get by, giving up on any chance that we might just maybe be able to thrive. We become indifferent, and that becomes kind of the lens through which we see the world. It's, it's how we begin to see the world around us and how we begin to, to live into it. That's one extreme. And the other extreme would be that we become resentful and we kind of feel all the things, right? We become angry. We become uh, kind of jaded. We, we um, can get mad and angry. Bitterness can begin to bubble up inside of us and we can begin to see everyone and everything as kind of a threat, as, as being against us. And that can become the way that, that we see and that we live in the world, However, both of these responses, being resigned or resentful, what happens is as we're in them, they keep us focused on the chaos and they keep us stuck. Um, Some of you all might be familiar with the writer Anne Lamont. Have you all heard of her before? She's written lots of books, Uh, but she was recently approaching a birthday and it was making her be reflective. And so she was kind of thinking about all the chaos that's in the world around us, the depths that she could see and how it can all feel like it's just too much sometimes. But then she said this, she said, remember, You can trap bees at the bottom of mason jars with a bit of honey and without a lid at all because they don't look up. They just walk around bitterly bumping into the glass. Resigned or resentful, it kind of keeps us stuck. Keeps us looking around at the chaos like bees at the bottom of a jar, just bumping into the sides. But God calls us to be a people who look up. That's what happens in Psalm 130. The psalmist shifts his focus from the depths. He doesn't deny that he's there, right? He doesn't pretend like that's not happening. He's not living in denial of his reality at all. But from the depths, this is what he declares. He says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. 
The psalmist looks up in anticipation that the God who has shown up time and time and time again for his people is going to show up even right there in the midst of the chaos. Just like watchmen, soldiers in the midst of the war, of a war who, who are on the lookout, just like they can count on the fact that the dangers of night, the dangers of darkness will eventually give way to the safety of light in the same way. The psalmist says we can have this confident hope, this confident hope that God is present and he is at work. And what it does is it allows the psalmist and us to stay expectant. It allows us to not become resigned or resentful, but instead to be resilient. This is why it matters so much what we are anticipating in our lives because it shapes things. It shapes our attitudes. It shapes our actions. It shapes our hearts. It, it shapes what we expect and what we project into our world. Remember, God's people, they would have been singing this psalm as they are ascending toward Jerusalem to go to worship when they are literally and figuratively looking up to where God's presence dwelt among them. The psalm was meant to remind them that they could have this confident hope in God that he could still be counted on. And as excited as like my kids get going to Gigi's house, it was meant to get the people of Israel excited that they were going to God's house to encounter him there. Going to Jerusalem was this intentional practice. An intentional practice meant to keep them looking up, anticipating God's goodness. What about us? You know, what helps us be intentional about looking up? What is it that helps us stay intentional about recognizing God's goodness in our midst, even when we find ourselves in the depths? Well, it's not this one-size-fits-all prescription. I wish I could just say, this is it for everyone. But maybe you can take some time this week to look back and to notice what helps you to do that. Um, one of the things that helps me is a practice called the daily examine. And so um, at 8 o'clock every night, I have this little, um, this little alarm that goes off on my phone. It pops up, and it reminds me to do four things. It reminds me to, first of all, look back over my day with gratitude, to then reflect on my emotions, like what is going on inside of me, um, and then to uh, take one part of my day and talk to God about it, and then to pray for the next day. But what that little practice does that sometimes takes me, you know, a minute and sometimes takes me, you know, maybe an hour. It just depends on where I am that day. What it does is it helps me, instead of becoming resigned or resentful, to look for God's goodness in that moment. To keep my eyes up above the waves. For some people, it might look like your daily practice of engaging with scripture. It might look like journaling. It might look like getting out into nature. It might look like playing certain music or, or talking to a trusted friend. But what is it that helps you to look up and to anticipate God's goodness? Often one of the things that can keep us stuck and feeling like um, we're, we're resigned or resentful and is when we isolate ourselves, you know, when we kind of disconnect from God and from other people, uh, which is why it matters that you're here today. You know, it matters that you have shown up for worship because it is this intentional practice, an intentional practice of connecting with God and others 
so that we can together anticipate God's goodness in our midst. It's one of the ways that we can refuse to be consumed by the chaos and look up instead. In a world in which it's easy for discouragement and disillusionment to kind of take over, in a world where it's easy to become apathetic or, or angry, in a world in which it's, it's easy to let the depths overtake us, let me tell you something. People who anticipate goodness, they stand out like a sore thumb. It is one of the powerful ways that we become witnesses to the watching world without necessarily even having to speak a word. Recently, the Partington family, who you all might know, they worship at our 1030 service. They woke up and they found themselves plunged into chaos. But even in the midst of that difficult situation, they, they were a witness to me, honestly, because I could see the ways that they were intentionally looking up. I have some pictures of their son, Finn, um, I came in from a run a couple weeks ago, and they've given me these pictures and allowed me to share this story with you today, um, to a text from another church member telling me that uh, they had gone to wake Finn up, but he wouldn't wake up, that they could tell he was breathing, but that he would not uh, awaken. And they noticed that he had a fever. Um, they took off. They live out in the country near Gigi. They took off toward the hospital. Um, I hear, and you all can ask them about this, that there was some discussion over whether the, the caution light should be on and off in the car. I don't know who won. I'm going to put my money on Andrea. But um, they're racing there, you know, scared in that moment. Andrea said she walked through the doors of the ER and was concerned that they were going to like, you know, tell them to just go sit over here and wait. But she walked in and she said, we need help. And they immediately started taking care of them. Um, what they learned is that Finn had spiked a fever from a pretty common virus, um, but that, and it had caused him to have a seizure. Um, and there was some concern because his seizure lasted for an extended period of time. And so they ended up sitting there, um, at the, at the hospital here in Bowling Green for some time, and then eventually were sent to Vanderbilt to just, you know, see more clearly what was going on. Um, I had a chance to go see them while they were at the med center, and I mean, just, you see the pictures, it's just like devastating to walk through a door and to see a child laying there. Um, and we talked, he woke up, and seeing his beautiful blue eyes was like the most wonderful thing that I've seen in a long time whenever he opened his eyes that morning. Um, but we had a, a chance to, to talk and to pray together before they took off to Vandy. But later in that day, um, I got this text from Andrea, and I wanted to share it with you guys today because that's a scary situation, right? It's, it is a place of despair, and... Um, a place where it would have been easy to, to move toward, you know, being resentful or, or, um, or being resigned. But Andrea has this practice. She, she reads scripture. She's like reading through the Bible. And um, she happened to be in the Psalms that day. And she said, this is the Psalm that popped up. It said, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble, those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. And this is what she said. She said, in the ambulance ride, I was catching up on my chronological Bible reading plan because I get behind on busy weekends sometimes. I was reading some of the Psalms written by David, and this verse really spoke to me. 
David has been the most faithful person that's been in the Israelite journey for a minute. And I got to thinking about how I was praying to God for Finn while we were driving to the ER before we had any answers. It makes me sad, she said, for people who don't have that. Like, what do you do when you're in that situation? Where does their hope come from? Wherever we find ourselves, we don't have to wonder where that hope comes from. For us, it's not a matter of if God is going to show up. It is a matter of when. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss the ways that God is going to show up in our midst. And so let's anticipate his goodness together. Let's wait for him as watchmen wait for the morning that is sure to come. By the way, just not to leave you hanging, Finn's doing great, if you couldn't tell by the last picture. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are so, so grateful that we don't ever have to wonder that we have a God who is and was and will to come, that is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that we have a God who, who walks with us through the most difficult spaces in our lives as well as the most joyful places. And so, God, wherever we find ourselves today, I pray that you would help us to see those places where maybe we're feeling a little resigned or resentful and that you would help us remember the hope that we have in you, that you would help us look up and to see um, and be waiting to see how you are indeed showing up. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.